The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Tabernacle. My name is John, and I have a gift for you. Um, it's for all of you, right? Uh, no, you know that feeling when someone walks in with a present, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's my own pride and my own greed or whatever, but whenever I see a wrapped present, just for an instant, maybe it's the kid inside that goes, ooh, I wonder if it's for me, right? Or I wonder if I'll get it, or you see one in that, it's like, oh, did I forget my birthday, right? Well, I do have a gift for you. We'll get there in a few moments, but before we do, I just wanted to bring you up to speed on a few things. If you were not here uh, last week or you did not uh, receive the email, um, you probably didn't receive the email because you're either not in our database, you haven't filled out one of those cards yet, we encourage you to do that. But I wanted to kind of let you know what's next with our build program. Last week, we announced that we all received a very big gift. By God's grace, uh, we received a grant from a foundation for $662,000. That was really amazing, right? I'm still excited about it. I don't know if you're excited about it. I'm still fired up. But um, when you take uh, the money that's been promised by the foundation and we add it to the money that, uh, that we have available right now, uh, we have $987,000 in our war chest towards this building. So that's super exciting. It's an amazing gift. And you're probably thinking, what's next? And so we just wanted to bring you up to date on that. That's what the email was about. Um, just a couple things. First of all, we're, we're finalizing our funding. We want to do the best uh, that we can uh, do as far as being a good steward of that, finding the best interest rate. So we're finalizing those things when we find out what the rest of the price tag will be for the project. Uh, building material costs fluctuate all the time, so now we have to go back to all the subs and figure out how much is going to be. The big question burning on everyone's mind is, have we ordered the steel? The answer is yes, we've ordered the steel. The steel's on the way. This is really happening. We're doing this, right? And, and, and then, of course, when are we going to build? And that's, hey, look, as soon as it thaws, right? I'd do it today, but it's not that the weather's really kind of you know, raunchy for that. But as soon as it thaws, the project's going ahead. So please keep praying for build. We will give you all the information as it's available, as it progresses, and, uh, and it's super exciting. I'm also excited because today we're going to talk about a very important doctrine of the gospel that's found in Christianity. In fact, I would say that this doctrine is what separates Christianity from all other world religions. 
You know, there's this idea out there that, well, you know what, just believe in something with all your heart and all leads uh, or, or all roads lead to the same place. And that's wrong because all of the roads disagree with one another, right? And, and really, when you study all the different roads that people claim lead to God or lead to heaven or lead to whatever's out there, they're so different, but there's one, and that's in Christianity, that finds itself totally unique from the other ones. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's a very important question to answer each one of us, what would happen if I were to die tonight? Now, that's the classic Christian-like ghetto question, right? If you've ever been to a vacation Bible school, or if you've ever went to a crusade, or a revival, or someone you know, invited you to a music festival, and there's some talker up there like me, and he's like, if you were to get hit by a bus on your way out here, what would you say to God to get him to let you into heaven, right? And it's kind of corny, but it's a great question. It's a great question. In fact, last night, I sat at the bedside of a man who's staring death in the face. The cancer that's ravaging his body will probably take his life if he's fortunate within the next 30 days. He could have passed away last night, I don't know. But I'm, as I'm at the hospital, he's a friend of mine, and I'm sitting by his bedside, and after we'd talked for a while, I finally boiled it down to this question, you know? If you were to die tonight, how would you know that you would be saved? How did you know, or how would you know that you know that you know that you know where you're going? And so it's a question that I want us to answer for ourselves. Because even if you go to church, even if you've been to church your whole life, we can get very different answers. Because myths and old wives' tales, you know, and kind of our opinions kind of seep in. So here's the question. What is required to be saved? Let's just say, let's just say for a moment that you stood before God, that you're standing before his throne. What is required to be saved? Answer A, saved because I try my best to be a Christian, right? Try to look and act and be and serve and give. This is what a Christian looks like, and I've tried my best to be that. Choose one of these. Letter B, because I believe in God and I try to do his will. Ah, we imported a little bit of faith there, right? I believe in God, and I try my best to do His will, to serve Him, to please Him, to obey Him. Or letter C, I believe in God with all my heart. I believe in God with all my heart. Now look at those three answers. You can reread them if you want, but I want you to select one. What's required of you to be saved? If I were to die tonight, would it... Would it would I be saved because I've tried my best to be a Christian, because I believed in God and tried to do His will, or I believe in God with all my heart? We're going to go by show of hands here. How many of you would say it's letter A, I've tried my best to be a Christian? Just raise your hand. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Okay? Tried my best to be a Christian. I can barely see. Okay, great. Uh, letter B, because I believe in God and try to do His will. We got any believe in God's try to do His will? Great. Uh, letter C, because I believe in God with all my heart. All right. Sweet. And then a whole bunch of the rest of you didn't play, and apparently you're going to hell. So, um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let's go through each one of these, because there's some common misconceptions with the gospel. With the gospel. Because if we treat Christianity like a religion, we're going to make a huge mistake. You see, religion is man's effort to please God. Man's effort to justify himself or herself. To be made right with God. 
We know about good and bad, good and evil, righteousness and sin. We know it intuitively. Paul's been making that case. And so we know that God is good and righteous and loving, and I'm not, so how do I bridge that gap? So we have to answer the question. And religion is all of our works or all of our good deeds, our performance in order to be right with God. Letter A, if I try my best to be a Christian, that's works-based Christianity. That depends on me. Notice the word try there. As Master Yoda would say, there is no try, there is only do. You see, we like to boil Christianity down to that because we're full of ourselves. I'm the same way. I got to try. I got to try hard to look right and act right and dress right and talk right and be right and give right and serve right. And if I look right and I'm trying my best, surely I'll get a medal because I got one in peewee soccer for participation and trying his hardest, right? Wrong. That's based on works. That doesn't depend on God. That depends on me. Letter B. Some of us said, well, because I believe in God. Faith is important. I've placed my belief and my trust and my faith in God, but I try to do His will. Well, there's a problem there. If I, if I have faith, that's good. But it imports the fact that, you know what, i got to try real hard too. See, that word try is still there. That basically says, you know what, I believe in God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, but you know what, he needs my help. He needs my help. He needs my help to fill in the gap. He died for some of my sins, but not all of them. So, good job, Jesus, you did half of it, I'll do the other half. Or, no, 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 I believe in faith more than that. Okay, then uh, uh, Jesus did three quarters of it, but you know, that last 25%, man, I gotta gut it out, right? Thanks, Jesus, I'll lift my end of the piano, Right? This is faith plus works. That's the problem with letter B. And I, I got to confess, I totally set you up. And, and some of you saw the setup and you were going for letter C. You, yeah, believe in God with all my heart. There's a problem with that too. There's a problem with believe in God with all my heart. And what's the problem? It depends on how hard I believe. I'm believing with all my heart. I'm believing with all my heart. With all my heart, I'm gripping and I'm grunting and I'm squeezing and I'm believing with all my heart. That's trust in my trust. I'm going to tell you, sometimes my trust isn't good enough. Sometimes my faith doesn't close the gap. All of these kind of smuggle in me and a dependence on me and my effort, my faith, my works, and they're all religion. The great doctrine that Romans chapter 4 teaches us is that we are justified by faith. We are justified by how much faith? I don't know. I told my friend last night, I think just, just, just like that much. That's how great God is. That's how powerful the cross is. That's how much Jesus loves. We are justified by faith. But, but wait a second, what about my works? That's what religion loves to do. Believe in God, but you know what you should do? You should do this. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, well, you should do this. If I'm going to call myself a Christian, oh, yes, 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 I'm justified by faith, but I should do this, and I should go there, and I should give that, and I should say that, and I should dress this, and you know what I do? I end up shooting all over myself. 
And then I get really religious and I start shooting all over you. And then we should on each other, right? Because we smuggle in our religion. We smuggle in our effort. We smuggle in our pride. Don't should on anybody. We're justified by faith. It's a big doctrine. It could change your life. Say that with me. Say justified by faith. Don't ever forget it. And hopefully after the end of this message, you never will. In Romans chapter 4, this is what Paul's going to do. He's going to outline this doctrine of justification by faith, that we're made right with God. We're made righteous by faith alone. Martin Luther, the great reformer, put it this way. They called it, and all the other reformers call it sola fide. In Latin, that means faith alone. And it was very important to them that it wasn't all these extra things that churches like to heap on people. It's faith alone, through Christ alone, through grace alone, for the glory of God alone. Because if any of it depends on my work or your work, it's not for God's glory alone. And it's not on Christ alone. And it's not grace alone. We would have to add sola, John, should on something. And that's not one of the solas. That's not one of the doctrines. It's about him. And so what Paul does in in chapter 4 is he uses the patriarch Abraham from the Old Testament to help us understand that we're justified by faith. Say it again so you didn't forget it. Say justified by faith. Right. Now, Abraham was called by God, and he was promised by God. God spoke to Abraham, told him, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a son, even though you're almost 100 years old, and I'm going to bless all nations through you. That's what you're going to have. And it says, and you can read all about Abraham in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, and beyond, that Abraham believed God... And it was credited to him as righteousness. And it's the same thing for us. So we're going to go all through the chapter, but everything's about justified by faith. Romans 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Abraham was humanly speaking the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds, his religion, his performance, his obedience, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. It doesn't say that Abraham was righteous. He wasn't made right with God because of his good looks. He wasn't made right with God because he went to church. He wasn't made right with God because he put something in the offering plate. He wasn't made right with God because he gave to build. He wasn't made right with God because he stopped swearing, stopped drinking, stopped smoking, stopped carousing around. He was made right with God because of his faith. He was counted as righteous. What does that mean, counted as righteous? He was given righteousness, something he did not have. Those of us that have studied Abraham's life, I'm going to go ahead and tell you some of the sordid details. I can't offend him. He's already dead by thousands of years, right? He wasn't always the greatest guy. He wasn't always the most righteous guy. There was one time that there was a famine and and he took his family or he took his wife and all of his servants and all of their entourage, their caravan, and they went to Egypt to look for food. But he got very frightened there because these were a foreign people. His wife was very beautiful, Sarah. And he saw them making eyes at her, and he was afraid that they were going to kill him and take her as a concubine. So in order to save his own skin, he lied and told everybody in Egypt that she was his sister. 
She was actually taken into Pharaoh's house for a while. He pimped out his wife. It doesn't sound real righteous. But that's not why he's righteous. You know, later on, he, he kind of wavered in his faith just a little bit. He, he thought maybe he needed to help God out. He got religious. He said, you know what? I don't have a son. I'm almost 100 years old. My wife is almost 100 years old. Obviously, we need to help God out. So I'm, I'm supposed to have this kid with one of her maidservants. So he broke his vows, right? And his wife was a, was, was a party to it. And he had a child out of wedlock with Hagar. That's, that's not very righteous. But it says that's not what made him righteous or unrighteous. What made him righteous was that he believed God. It's called imputed righteousness. It's given to you. It's given. It's just planted on you. It just dropped on you like a big, massive, cosmic, righteous bus. Bip. Thank you for that gift, right? Luther put it this way. Justification by faith, being justified by faith, means that I can simultaneously be righteous before God and be wicked. How is that possible? Let's keep going. Verse 4. He says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but they're something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work or their performance, but because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. And then they quote a poem from the Psalms that David wrote about this. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Very simply, he's saying we're justified by faith and not by our works. We're justified by faith and not by what we do or don't do. You can't earn it. You can try. You can't pay it back. You can try. Have fun with that. You'll never earn it. You'll never pay it back. It's a gift. In fact, in my notes, I wrote it down to make clear that I said it's a free, unearned gift. It's a free, unearned gift. Now, by definition, a gift is free and unearned, right? Right? Come on, you're going to have to wake up. By definition, a gift has to be free and unearned. But the way we treat gifts sometimes, I think it's important for us to declare that it's free and unearned. We have to do that. Have you ever gotten a gift like at Christmas time? You know, somebody you weren't expecting to give you a gift gave you a gift, and then you're like, oh my gosh, they gave me a gift. I better give one back. Have you ever done that? Am I the only one, right? That happens all the time, and then you're at home. I don't have time to go to the mall. What am I going to do? And then you re-gift something, and you're like, I got you something too. I just didn't have it with me, right? Have you ever lied to somebody? Oh, thanks. Oh, I've got your card coming. Oh my gosh, I got to get a card, right? Don't lie to me. You do it too. <laughs> then the gift isn't free and it's not unearned. It's more of an, it's, it's, it's a gift exchange. It's like a little white elephant. Oh, thank you. Bed, bath, and beyond. Love it. I need a new man card, right? <laughs> he says this gift, it's free and unearned. There's no strings attached. He keeps going in his argument. Verse 9. He says, now is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? 
Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Why is he talking about circumcision? Remember, circumcision was obedience to God. It was a mark of Jewish men that they belonged to God. That's how we would know the difference between a Jew and a Gentile was this mark of obedience. Verse 11, circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is a spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based, get this, not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary, and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. Now, that's the biggest part of the passage we're going to read, and I don't want you to be confused. This is what Paul's saying. We're justified by faith before we ever obey the law. We're justified by faith, and it doesn't depend on how good or not good we are at obeying God. He's saying faith is the most important thing. He's not saying that obedience isn't important. He's not saying that loving God by doing what pleases God is not important. But he's saying what saves us, what saves you is faith. And the moment you start to believe that it depends just a little bit on my obedience, just a little bit on my performance, it negates the gift. As proof, he asked that hypothetical question. When was Abraham credited as righteous? When was he counted as righteous before God? And he asked that hypothetical, and he says it was before he ever obeyed. And you can go back in Genesis and look. If you follow those chapters, it says in Genesis that God counted him as righteous because of his faith. A chapter later, he goes, now that we're friends, Abraham, now that we have a relationship, Abraham, why don't you go ahead and take on the mark of one that has a relationship with God, which was circumcision. So in other words, when are you made right with God? Before or after you get baptized, Christian? Before. When are you made right with God? Before or after you become a member of the church? Before. Because if you're not a member, or if you're not a Christian, you don't get to become a member, right? When are you made right with God? The moment you believe. As proof of this, because I was wrestling in my study, because I was a real dense, if you got a little... Don't worry about it. I got lost, and I'm studying it all week long. And then all of a sudden, it hit me, because what was clear to Paul wasn't clear to me until I kept reading it over and over and over and doing the math and figuring it out. And all of a sudden, it, the reason Abraham was credited as righteous without obedience, he couldn't have obeyed because the Ten Commandments didn't even come till 500 years later. Moses and Sinai and, and all the sacrifices in the tabernacle and the temple and the Levites and the priests and the, I don't know, do I sacrifice a bull or a dove or a sheep or a goat? What am I sacrificing for myself? All of that obedience, all of that law came 500 years later. Abraham was credited as righteous 
because of his faith. And it's the same way you and I are when we put our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Am I the only geek getting excited about this? This changes everything. When you understand this, it changes everything. Number one, it gives you permission to be free from the shouldas. That's what it does. Got to keep moving. Because if you're like me, you're wondering, how is this possible? Sounds too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. Paul anticipates that. Verse 16, he says, so the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift, and we're all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law. Oh, that sounds scandalous. You mean people can live however they want? We're all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. Now get this. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. How is this possible, John? How is this possible, Paul? How is this possible, doctrine of justification by faith? If you believe in a God that tells you to perform, if you believe in a God that says you must do this to go into paradise and have 72 virgins, if you believe in God that says you must do this in order to have peace and tranquility, then this is not for you. But if you believe in the God who made everything out of nothing, if you believe in the God that brought dead men back to life, then certainly you can believe in a God who says you need righteousness, there you go. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. He's got the power to do it. He's loving enough to do it. He's gracious enough to do it. He's good enough to do it. See, that's why we don't believe in that or or that it's possible to be justified by faith. Because humans, we don't love that way, right? We'll love each other to a point and then it's like, okay, man, now you're pushing me too far, don't we? Okay, maybe I'm the only one because you're looking at me like, no, I would give anything for anyone. Liar. But the same God that gave his own son, the same God that can make beautiful things, as we like to sing, out of dust and dirt and brokenness, that can put people back together, that can put families back together, that can put marriages back together. Why? Because he can give you a new kind of righteousness that you can't earn and you can't pay back. He's that God, the supernatural God. Here's the impact it has on us. Verse 18 says, Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. What's the impact of being justified by faith? Say it again, just in case you forgot. Say justified by faith. What's the impact? If, when you really start to believe that, it trumps your feelings and it trumps appearances. It said Abraham had almost lost hope. He's about 100 years old and God had told him to look at the sky. You see all the stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. Well, how about we start with one, God? And I'm 100 years old and so is she. It says he believed God and that hope that was fanned into flame because he believed in the God that could make something out of nothing, that could bring, or bring lives back from the dead. The God that 
had the power to give him that gift of righteousness. When I have that type of faith, it trumps my feelings. I was telling the service beforehand, I had a really bad morning. I don't know what it was. I don't just wake up as a preacher, oh, rainbows and unicorns. It was terrible. I don't want to talk to anybody. I got to come in here. I got to be nice. I got to shake hands. Oh, how are you? Nice to see you, right? Great time. Preach three times. I don't want to be here. I don't want to preach this. I, I was just said, just a big feeling mess. There, I admitted it. Sorry to let you down, but that's who I was. But you know what? My faith trumped it. I'm in here. I'm worshiping God. And all of a sudden, we start singing those songs. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, right? We start singing about the great I am. We start singing about the cornerstone of our faith. That one day, dressed in his righteousness alone, I will be faultless. I will stand before the throne. That trumps my feelings. I got faith again. If I have faith in that one, it breeds more faith. That it's not about how I feel anymore. It's not how I perform anymore. It's not about appearances. I don't have to keep up appearances. I'm not saved by how good I look or even how good I feel. I'm strictly saved by just that little bit of faith that I have in God, and so are you. That changes the way we live. That changes the way we respond. That brings freedom. I don't know about you. That brings freedom for me. That brings security for me. That means I don't have to go to bed tonight wondering if I die in the night, where will I go? Because that's a big question, right? If I stand before God, what will I say to get into heaven? I'm going to tell you right now, I've told you before. Here's the answer, right? Here's the key that unlocks every door. Jesus. But what if I say Christ? Same guy. <laughs> what if I say Jesus Christ? Same dude. Why should I let you into heaven? I got faith in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross. You're in. Why should I let you into heaven? Because I have faith that he paid for all my sins and I don't have to perform. You're in. What if I remember, or what if I forget all about that? You know what I told my friend last night? I told him when you're laying here in bed, you start to get afraid. Here's a prayer I want you to pray. And I've told several people that have been on their deathbed. I said, if that's what you want, and you want to know that you know that you know where you're going, I said, buddy, all you have to do is breathe this prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's a prayer he always answers. Everything's there. You need to know, well, did you confess your sin? Hey, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. How much faith is that? Just a little bit. It was the same faith that saved a thief on the cross who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's how great the gospel is, friends. That's why we sing. That's how we get excited. And Paul wraps it all up. Verse 20 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit. That's where you and I come in. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross, and you receive a free, unearned gift of righteousness that you can never pay back, and you'll be saved. 
and it'll change your life if, if you realize how heavy the righteousness is. That's the gift that's for everyone who chooses to believe. That gift rescues us from religion. I'm rescued from that eternal striving. See, the problem with the eternal striving is I never know if it's good enough. And this preacher says, no, you must do this. And this rabbi says, you must do this. And that teacher says, well, according to what I see, you must do this. And God says, would you just believe in what my son did by taking your sin on the cross? Believe that I love you. Believe that it's unconditional. Believe that grace can't be earned. Believe that it all depends on me and not on you. Put your trust there. Receive the gift and you're saved. Hallelujah. Holy, holy. God almighty. Great I am. You believe the words? You believe what we sing? Christ is the cornerstone, or is it Christ needs my help? Right? Probably wondering what's in the box. Well, I'm going to show you. Look at this. Ever get one of these? A little gift card? This is like a $50 gift card. I mean, that's like 50 American dollars right there. All right? This is not Haitian gourds, okay? This is not some kind of lira from Italy or anything. This is 50 American dollars right there. Have you ever gotten a gift card before? Or, you know, or, or I see this quite often because at Christmas we all exchange gift cards and then you end up with a gift card, you're like, I would never go there. Like, I, I don't know, I seriously probably one year had a Bed Bath & Beyond card in my hand. Now listen, I know that I don't work on a construction site, but really, I mean, how offensive is that to a preacher? Hey, you look like a Bed Bath & Beyond kind of guy, right? <laughs> I think it was a mistake. But then somebody that want to go to Bed Bath & Beyond, hey, I'll take your $50 Bed Bath & Beyond card. How much you give me for it, right? Oh, hey, man, I'll give you 40 bucks for your $50 gift card. How silly, right? If, if, if you buy the gift card for me, is it, is it a gift anymore? No. Even if you pay half of the gift card, is it a gift card anymore? No. It's a discount card. Then it's a discount. And then you, you know, hey, I got a good deal. I got 50 bucks for my 25. That's what we do when we say, you know what? Christ needs my help. Christ needs my work. Christ needs my effort. Yeah, John, okay, I'm justified by faith, but you got to work. Because what Jesus did wasn't quite enough. That's heresy. That's heresy. Either he does all of it, or he does none of it. Now, you receive this gift, is it going to change your attitude about the giver? I should hope so. Someone just gave you a no-strings-attached, free, unearned gift to say that they love you? I mean, that feels good, right? So no, I'm not saying we don't obey. I'm not saying we don't become members of church and we don't get baptized and we don't attend church regularly and we don't learn more about the gift giver. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we don't love him back by serving, by giving, by going, by sharing, by inviting. No. But I have to understand that none of that will save me and my salvation, my justification doesn't depend on any of that. Say it again. Say justified by faith. Don't ever forget it. Lindsay, I remember when I was in college, I never had any money. I don't know your situation, but would you like $50? Please say yes, because this is being taped. <laughs> Lindsay, if you'd like $50, I need you to have faith that I'm going to actually give you this card, and I need you to come up here and claim it. Would you come up here and claim it real quick? 
There's a $50 gift card. It's a VC. You can use it wherever you want. Bed, bath, and beyond if you'd like. (laughs) iTunes, whatever. But that's for you. That's unearned. That's free. You don't have to do anything to get it. Spend it however you like. Don't give it back. Like, don't put it in the offering plate to try to be holy. (laughs) Don't let your Catholic guilt come out there, okay? I just want you to keep it, okay? Okay. Love you. That's yours. All right? Sweet. Now, it's the same thing when by faith we receive a gift. We receive a gift. That's the justification. That's how we're made right with God. Now, maybe tomorrow I bump into Lindsay at the store. Is she like, hmm, so you? Maybe. I don't know what kind of person she is. I kind of have a little bit of an idea. She might be, hey, all right, high five. Drinks are on me. I don't know. Calm down. Somebody's going to be offended. I can't believe I said that. But when we receive a gift, does it change our attitude about the giver? Yeah, a little bit. And when we start realizing how heavy the gift of righteousness is that rescues us from religion, it rescues us, it sets us free. It sets us free. It gives us confidence. It gives us security. Now I'm free to obey. Now I'm free to serve. Now I'm free to love. Now I'm free to worship. Nobody's shooting on me. And I'm not shooting on anybody else. I'm loving God and loving people. Because this is a heavy gift. Now some of us in here who are Christians needed to be reminded of that. And some of us here who are Christians have never heard it put that way. And we need to respond in faith that there's no wasted words in Scripture, that it's our faith that credit, that's credit that makes us counted as righteous. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, that is the gospel, plain and simple. And if you receive it, a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's showing that I have faith that you are real, that you are there, that you have the power to have mercy on me, that I need your mercy, I acknowledge my sin, and I'm asking for you to give it to me. That's a sinner's prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And in that moment, if you believe that with all your heart, eh, just a little bit. Because it doesn't depend on how hard you believe it and how strong you are and how good you are. All of that to Christ is filthy rags. You can be justified by faith. And I hope tonight when you're laying in bed, I hope you're not worried about whether or not you're going to heaven or hell or I mean, when you start, I want you to start thinking about this. Say it one more time. Say, justified by faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the doctrine of salvation, that we're justified by faith alone, that it's not our works, it's not our effort, it's not our good deeds. Thank you that because of just a little bit of faith, we can be dressed in your righteousness alone and before your throne stand faultless, just like we sang that song. God, it's all dependent on you. It's not dependent on me. It's all dependent on you. It's not dependent on my good deeds. And God, help us to live that way and believe that way and trust that way for your glory and our joy. And it's in your name we pray, our great God and King Jesus. Amen.